what's happening guys happy friday and thank you for joining another special episode of your welcome it's been another great year of shows and i can't wait for you guys to listen to today's coming up later I'll tell you a tough guy story if Dominic Cruz and Jose Aldo is the fight to make and if Sean O'Malley is playing his cards right. All of that coming up soon. But first, let's begin with this. Francis Ngannou and Dana White bumped into each other the other night at dinner. How in the hell is that for a headline, right? I mean, you want to talk about clickbait, you got me. What does that look like? What does, who approaches who? Who sees the other one first? Does one see the other one and try to look away and not be seen? Would that even be possible? Do they see each other and walk right up? I mean, right, like, what does that look like? I would be very curious. Where were they? Probably a pretty good restaurant if both of these guys chose to go there. Like, there's so many pieces of this story that have me interested. Before we even get to, what did they talk about? I'm very comfortable in telling you guys, whatever situation those two were in is much better. And I'm comfortable in telling you that because if you go and spend moments with Dana White, the one thing that you are going to come away concluding is that Dana White is reasonable. Dana can say things to you in two and three sentences. No big fancy words, no psychological play, and he can explain things to you very short and very quickly that make you go, oh my goodness, how did I not see that? Like the way that Francis walked into that restaurant that night, I'm confident in telling you he left different. That doesn't mean that everything's patched up, but it is very relevant. If you're the manager of Francis Ngannou and you've got a battle going on, you've got your strategy, you've decided to take this public in some degree as a negotiation tactic, okay, you got to keep those parties apart. You have to. I'm just curious what was said. I'm curious. That's a statement by me that's a guess at that. How the hell do I know? I don't know any of those things to be true, but I believe they are. I'm confident in telling you that they are. And I think that whatever is ailing Francis, right? Like sometimes we have these athletes that see themselves differently than the way the rest of us see them. Sometimes they're not aware of how they're viewed. My interpretation and impression of Francis is that he would fall into that category. Francis Ngano is a true fighter, and it has nothing to do with punches he throws or punches that are being thrown at him. His life and his story and the ability that he showed to overcome and find a way to succeed, it's one of the great stories in mankind right now, just not in sport. It's very easy to imagine a scenario where at some point in the Francis story, it concludes with a motion picture being made of the story of his life. It's that good of a story. And I don't know if Francis knows the rest of us, you guys, myself, look at him in this way. Like, man, we don't really care if you win the fight or not. We are sure as hell impressed that you haven't found a way to be here on a human level. Francis has every excuse in the world to be behind bars. He has every excuse in the world to pour me and have given up. But he didn't do it. And we all really appreciate that, don't we? I don't think he knows that. 
I don't think Francis knows that. And then you have people that get a hold of you guys. I went through this. I went through it as a third party, not as a principal. Nothing destroyed Team Quest, my team, nothing destroyed us more or that you could count on for destruction more than the Ultimate Fighter. The Ultimate Fighter came around, it provided opportunity. It was the greatest, single greatest marketing vehicle within our industry. Randy Couture, who owned Team Quest, was the first ever coach. So we were in. We have been treated so well and given such opportunities through the process known as the Ultimate Fighter. But what happened to every single one of my teammates, and there is no exception, none, zero, zero. I have not had one teammate go on the Ultimate Fighter that remained my teammate. They were gone. And the story was the same for all of them. They got out there, somebody latched onto them, said a whole bunch of uh, good stuff that did not come through for any of them. By the way, in case you want to know how the story ends, it was all lies, latched onto them, and they went in that direction. We just never saw them again. And the story was very much the same. You're being misrepresented. You're not being used. You should be in commercials. You should be in endurance, endorsements. Here's what your pay should look like. Here's what your new life should look like. To get you to any of these spots, first off, I need you to sign this contract with me. But secondly, I need to get you with better coaches in a better gym with different teammates that can bring out the best of you. Well, those are things that an athlete wants to hear. My teammates weren't wrong. My teammates were hungry. They wanted an opportunity. They were willing to sacrifice. This was not easy for my teammates to pack up and move to say goodbye to everybody. They were convinced to a man. There is no exception. They were convinced that there was a better and another way, and that was the right thing to do for themselves, their career, and their families. But the story was the same every single time. And when I went through the Ultimate Fighter, I experienced it firsthand. One, I could see it. I saw the people that knew where the set was, knew where the studios, hung out in the parking lot, if you will, grabbed a hold of these guys, got in their ear. I saw those things, but it also happened to me. I had managers coming up to me. I had promises being made to me. And I was like, oh, this is what's happened. This is why I've never seen any of my teammates again. This is exactly how this whole thing works. And I don't see anybody there that's wrong, in all fairness. Those managers, these, these leeches and parasites, they had a job to do and they did it. Guy shows up to a parking lot and just sits and waits, gets out of his car, walks up to a stranger who's a very intimidating character known as a cage fighter, starts a conversation, gets him in the front seat, drives him to a steak dinner, puts the presentation on him, puts him together, and gets him to pack up and move. I mean, in all fairness, everybody did what they were supposed to do. There's just some dirty sons of bitches in this sport. Now, I only bring that to you. I'm not really giving Francis's manager a hard time. I don't know him. It would not be right for me to do. And the same as I'm telling you, Francis could walk into a restaurant with one idea, talk to Dana and go, oh, geez, I, I just hadn't thought of it like that. I'm guessing, but I'm guessing I'm close. I'm guessing that something like that happened just because Dana is so reasonable. You meet him and you're told that he's an evil, awful empire. And then you meet him and go, oh, I guess you're not. It's just one of these things. I don't want to get, but I want to give that manager the same regard. If I go meet his manager, I think his name is Marcel. If I meet this Marcel gentleman, I don't want to have buried him now. I don't know. That's not fair for me to do. I don't know very much about it. He could be a perfectly reasonable guy. I will give him an exception that he at least believes that he's right. But one thing for the fight to continue, you got to keep those guys apart. You got to. I met Francis before. He seemed like a gentleman. It wasn't in depth. It was very quick. I left with a good impression of him. So now you get two guys that are seemingly likable together to talk about something when you both have the same goal. 
it seems like things would work out pretty smoothly. And I'm still left with the same question as it pertains to Francis, which is, what's better? I'm very open to that idea. What is better? I cannot picture Francis Ngannou in a different MMA organization. There's a handful of them around the world that have the kind of exposure and have the kind of pockets that could bring in a Francis Ngannou. I don't know a story. I don't know what the rosters are. I don't know what the opponent is. I don't know what the long-term play would be. I'm open to it. I don't have to know everything to be wrong. I don't have to know everything to be right. I just, But I, I couldn't begin to guess what that would look like. So when it's talking of Francis and going and doing other things, all I can assume is we're talking about a boxing match. We're talking about Francis versus Fury, I think. I mean, I think that that's the elephant in the room. I think that that's the big dangle. That's one night of business. That's one night of business that is going to go terribly wrong for you. That is a straight-up cash grab, and you're just hoping that you can sell that on the public. Okay, fine. you got to take risks sometime. I would probably respect that more than I would begrudge it. However, it's a checker player move. I don't respect that. I do not respect one night. I have seen one night bite guys in the ass. You've seen it too. One night, one plan, one fight, just before it happens, dude pulls out, match never happens. I've seen it. What do you do then? Who's writing those checks then? Where are their guarantees then? Or you're with somebody who stood by you, who believed you, gave you an opportunity. And by the way, whose check never bounces? I mean, not for nothing. Whatever the deal is, my God, they find a way. There's a pandemic that hit. They found a way and they backed what they said they would do. That's the kind of people you want to be around. You want to be around those people. And I really do think eventually somebody reasonable is going to get to Francis and go, hey, wait just a second. We have a beautiful opportunity here. That's what I think. But there's room for character development. I could not be more excited than I am for Francis versus Surreal. I really don't know what's going to happen. When I look at Francis Ngannou, the scariest guy in the sport, I think he's going to go out and he's going to destroy anything in front of him. But there's more. you got, you got to dig into it a little bit deeper. Surreal does not appear to be intimidated. Francis is flat scary. But he's not to Surreal. That's relevant because that's his friend. That's his teammate. That's his training partner. The mask is off. He knows what the power is. He knows what the speed is. He, he knows how many kicks come in, in relation to the punches. He knows it's six punches to every one kick if you just go break down the numbers on Francis. I'm just sharing with you, Surreal's not scared. It's not because Surreal's better. It's not because Surreal is not a human being that feels those things. He just happens to know the guy. The mask is off. I thought guys have been very scared. You don't know. You're fighting the mystique. It's a real thing. You've got to deal with it. The sooner you realize it as a fighter, you're one step closer to being able to deal with it. But not knowing and having an image that you're taking on or you're taking on a resume as opposed to the, the, the two arms and the two legs in front of you. I mean, right? It's one of those things. It's a piece of sports psychology that everybody has to deal with. But the sooner you get there, you're there. And I only submit for you that because Surreal has already removed the mask and does not have to deal with the fear and the mystique of Francis because he knows him on a different level, I think that's helpful to Surreal. And we can get down to the breakdown and we'll break down, uh, get down to a prediction at a later time. I do think that Surreal is coming through this thing unscathed, and he shouldn't. Surreal Gong has done a crap job of telling the story of this fight. I have not seen a Surreal Gong interview. Now, before I give Surreal a hard time, I do interviews. I've never contacted his team. So before I should be too upset with him, and maybe he's just not being given these opportunities, he looks like a very charismatic guy. People seem to really like him. He has done a crap job of telling the story. Francis has done a lousy job of telling the story. The fact that what I believe to be the biggest heavyweight fight of all time 
being within three weeks away and I'm the one telling the story and the only thing that I have to talk about is that there appears to be a contract dispute between Francis's team and Dana and Dana and Francis saw each other in a restaurant. I mean, I'm giving you the best I got, guys. And that's not my fault. I'm a pretty good storyteller. I don't have a story here because these guys have sucked the room up in telling it. You want to make a bunch of money, get a bunch of people interested. Nobody wants to make money that way. They want to make money by getting somebody else to promise it ahead of time. Why? Why? Here's the pieces. Go put them together how you want. If it was not for the coach that is now with Surreal but used to be with Francis, if it was not for this man, we have nothing to look forward to here. That is not even that coach's job. He's never going to get thanked. The opposite's going to happen. People are going to tell, why are you speaking up on this fight? You're out of turn. Thank God for that guy. That's the only guy that's done a goddamn thing to promote what I believe is going to be the biggest fight in heavyweight history. And if it is not the biggest fight in heavyweight history, it's not because I've got the wrong people in the wrong organization doing the wrong thing. It's because the principals in this, Surreal and Francis, suck at telling the story. They wonder why you can't get more money. Well, get more attention. With attention comes money. Controversy creates cash. Hello? And Surreal is coming through this, right? We're giving Francis the lumps right here. Surreal's just as guilty. Surreal's got a belt up too. Surreal's got a beautiful record, a beautiful opportunity. He's going to be doing the same thing on the same night, too. He's not telling the story. I'm going to come to you guys day after day until this fight happens with some kind of topic on Francis Ngannou. For sure I am. It's what I do. And the fact that the best I could title this piece is Surreal bumps into Dana White at a restaurant, or Francis bumps into Dana White at a restaurant, the fact that that's what I'm left with the fact that that's the only goddamn story that anybody is out there telling? You want to talk about a raise right now? You don't deserve one. So coming up next, I'll move away from the heavyweights and on to the bantamweights and some interesting storylines going on at 135 pounds. But before we get there, a word about today's sponsor. We get almost everything delivered to us these days. Why should coffee be any different? Let Trade bring the best coffee right to your door. I love convenience and I love coffee, so Trade has been a win-win for me. Guys, this is how it works. You start by taking an online coffee quiz. Select your coffee brewing mechanism. By example, French press, automatic drip, maybe you're a cold brew guy. Your answers will help Trade pair you with the perfect coffee to fit your taste and brewing preference. It's almost like matchmaking, but it's done for the perfect cup of coffee. Trade will match you to coffees you'll love from over 400 craft coffees and will send you a freshly roasted bag as often as you'd like. You get to determine the frequency. Let me tell you guys, I have been so impressed with my coffee matches so far. You get to give feedback as you sip, and as your preferences evolve, your coffee matches will too. Trade guarantees you'll love your first match, and on the off chance that you don't, they'll replace it with a different bag for free. For free! For my listeners, right now Trade is offering your first bag free and $5 off your entire bundle at checkout to get yours. Go to drinktrade.com slash chael. Use the promo code chael. Then you're going to take the quiz and start your journey to the perfect cup of coffee. That's drinktrade.com slash chael. Promo code chael. 
for your first bag free and $5 off your bundle. And this holiday season, give the coffee lover in your life the gift of better coffee too with their own personalized gift coffee subscription from Trade. Enjoy. Dominic Cruz versus Jose Aldo. What does that do for you guys? Anything? Did I just stir up some emotion? Some of you hardcore fans, I know I did. You, Some of you hardcore fans went all the way back to the WEC. But what does that do for you right now, right here in this moment? Is that a big fight? Because for me, it is. However, I have a difficult time separating a fight that I would love to see for nostalgic and respect reasons. And that is what this will qualify as for me personally. I have a hard time separating and making a distinction between that category and just what is a big fight. Meaning, would you guys, does that just appeal to you? If Dominic and Jose are going to fight, what are they fighting for? What is this about? I do think there's an answer, which is top contendership. And I, I don't need to hear that it's the number one contender and whoever wins goes on for a title. But you know what I mean. You're climbing. Because Jose Aldo has made it crystal clear to anybody that will ask, he is on a pursuit of the championship. Not to mention, what an incredible job he's done. I mean, what Jose Aldo has done right now and is continuing to do is nothing short of inspiring. And that is not a word that I get to use very often. I would like to use it. I would just feel wonderful about myself if somebody said it about me, that I inspire them. It's a, it's a big compliment, and it's what Jose Aldo's doing right now, but we also know why he's doing it. He's made this perfectly clear. This is about a championship run. Okay. I think Dominic Cruz is also on a championship run. However, Dominic Cruz has never said those words. Dominic Cruz has really never said anything. Dominic Cruz is the, who is making it hard to be a supporter and a fan of Dominic Cruz because he's not giving us anything. Dominic points a cannon in some direction. I mean, he's got a whole army of us. That, well, I'm, I'm saying us. I'm one of them. I'm a Dominic Cruz maniac. What do you call it? Dominic Cruzite. <laughs> I don't know what he wants to do. I don't know what direction he's going in. I know that he was one of the greatest fighters to have ever done this sport. The end. Not the, not in this weight class, not in this era, not once upon a time. The end. Any weight, any gender, any way you want to do it, any rules, any amount of rounds, three, five, this weight, any way that you want to disguise this thing. Dominic Cruz is one of the greats ever. It also comes to our attention. It must have been John Anik. Somebody said this during the broadcast of Dominic's last fight. They said, Dominic Cruz has never lost a fight. That was not for the world championship. I didn't know that. I know he'd only lost a couple. I think three is the exact number of losses he's ever had. But I didn't know it in that category that they were only world championship. Top of the bill. Five round. Iron on top of iron. I didn't know that. That's an amazing feat. And when you get a guy like that that is still active and still busy. Oh, should I mention who's on a winning streak? it would appear pretty clear that he is also on a path and a journey, much like Jose Aldo, to the top. But Dom hasn't said that. It's a big deal, guys. It's a big deal that he hasn't said the words. Because Dominic's placement on the card is also a real topic of conversation. A lot of us out there are going, wait a minute. You got a good-looking, you got a popular, you got a talented, and you got a winning, multiple-time world champion who is not one of the last two fights of the night. And while that conversation exists, you want to know who's not participating in it? Dominic Cruz. So then it puts me in a position of, well, what business do I have to step in here and start to defend Dominic and start to argue about it? If it doesn't bother him 
What standing in the matter do I have? And when I say the word I, it's the collective us. What are we supposed to do? Because when I do look at Dominic Cruz versus Jose Aldo, I mean, oh my goodness, how do those guys avoid each other? The same question would go with Dominic Cruz and Frankie Edgar. Like, how can these guys be right here but have never been locked in there together? How? We can't do anything to stifle Jose Aldo because he is so committed, so obviously driven towards getting back to a world championship fight. We can't do anything to stifle him. Would a match and a win over Dominic Cruz help him in that direction? I believe the correct answer is yes, but I believe you have to search for that answer. And right off the top, first glance, you most of you probably said no. Most of you said, chill, what are you talking about? Dominic isn't even trying to get to the top. Dominic isn't in number one contender status. And then I got to come back and remind you because Dominic didn't. Yes, he is. He is whether he said it or not. It is whether he doesn't have the placement on the card that we th that I personally think he should have or not. He never lost a damn fight that wasn't for the world championship. Oh, and by the way, the last world champion to beat him is no longer in the division, which opened things wide up for Dominic Cruz. But I can't come out with that. I can support it. Dominic has to come with it. It puts you back in the same position. Jose doesn't want to fight anybody unless it gets him closer. I think that a fight over Dominic Cruz, considering nobody's ever beaten Dominic unless they were the world champion, I would think a win over Dominic Cruz is going to catapult you. At the same time, if that isn't part of the story, look, it's perception being reality. So it's a tough spot. It really is a tough spot. Because when I ask you, do you want to see that fight? Even though that question is very direct, and points at one thing, do you want to see the fight? You now have two options, yes or no. I'm really not only asking you that, am I? I'm really also asking you to make a prediction of do you think you're going to see that fight? So your mind is instantly going to go, yeah, Dominic Cruz and Jose Aldo, wow. Be a whole bunch of belts on both of those mantles. That's going to be a great one. When is it? But your mind is then going to also try to calculate how's Dana going to look at that? How are the athletes going to look at that? How are the managers going to look at that? And what is this about? Is this just about nostalgic sake? Is it just about trying to set the record clear? Is it about giving one guy a little bit of shine, maybe taking away from another one of our heroes? Or is something bigger on the line? I argue wherever the hell Dominic Cruz goes, so does top contendership. But I can't make that argument successfully. I know that I'm right. I know I am. But I can't, I'm not going to succeed. I'm not going to succeed being the first to say it. I can support it. It's got to come from the principal, who in this case is Dominic Cruz. So I'm going to ask you again. Do you want to see Dominic Cruz fight Jose Aldo? See how your answer probably just changed? Yeah. Hell yeah, we want to see that fight. But before we can make the prediction that we're going to get to see it, we have to first establish what is it about. And Jose has already done that. If it is not a championship fight, then it needs to be a fight that gets me to the championship fight. Is it? If it is not the fight that gets me to a championship fight, then it needs to be a fight that gets me to the fight that gets me to the championship fight. But right, like Jose Aldo has been perfectly clear, and he's got us on board. He is working up the card. He is working up the competition. He's calling out only the right guys. TJ Dillashaw versus Jose Aldo, for me, makes all the sense in the world. We don't know where TJ Dillashaw is, and we know that Dominic is healthy. And getting Dominic to say yes, getting Dominic to call you out, and Dominic doesn't do this for any of the uh, of the reasons. He's not trying to hurt his own career. When Dominic became an announcer, he saw his role changing. And I know this because I'm personal. It happened to me. I'm going to spend part of that time when you accept that position of building somebody else. 
And it's very hard to put yourself over when you're in that role because it doesn't come with the role. So it's a very strange balance. And you can either try to find out which side of that tightrope to walk, or you can just not do it at all. And that's what Dominic has done. He spends his time building up other people. He spends time telling the story of other people, sometimes even within his own division. He spends his time going along to get along. It's not bad what he's doing. It's not wrong. It's actually quite nice. It comes from a very kind place within Dominic's heart. But it also makes it very difficult to get him these, these big fights against guys who want something very specific, which is recognition and contendership, if Dominic does not verbally put himself in that same spot. Physically, historically, record-wise, resume, achievements, you damn right Dominic's there. Without saying one word, Dominic is there, but this sport isn't operating on that right now. We're in a different era. We'll come back to that. We'll come back to the accomplishment era someday. Right now, we're in the entertainment era. It's been going on for about a decade. It will burn itself out. There will be a transition. Will Dominic still be competing at that time? I mean, right, it's very important that you observe the sport for what it is. You don't pull a Sandhagen. You got full vision. You can see absolutely all of the pieces and that you go all in. And that's where it just gets a little bit confusing for Dominic. Look, there's a part of me really wants to see that. I don't want anything to get in the way of Jose Aldo versus TJ Dillashaw. For me, I get it. I get it and nobody needs to explain it to me. That makes sense. That's the number one contender's fight. I get it, but TJ's out for a minute. Dominic's in. Jose wants to be busy. I mean, right? Things line up. But one little miss, one little miss within the psychological perception will get a, a line drawn straight through that and the brainstorm session will continue. So I'm just asking you guys a question. I just want to know your answer. I'm going to read the comments and I'm going to digest it and I'm going to come back and I'm going to reflect on this again. But I will ask you for my third and final time today, do you want to see Dominic Cruz fight Jose Aldo? So Dominic Cruz and Jose Aldo are two guys at the top of 135 pound rankings. If you go down the list, you'll find the newly ranked Sugar Sean O'Malley who said something in an interview this week and it stuck out to me. Sugar Sean came out, and O'Malley was commenting on five-round fights. And he said, yeah, I'm not doing it. I'm not doing a five-round fight. You're basically sending me out there for twice the time under the same contract. I'm out. I will tell you guys, I like everything about MMA. I love the history of MMA, and I love when we discuss it. Because I came from the sport of wrestling where we did not have good leadership. The people who got into leadership positions in wrestling were just old wrestlers. They meant well. They loved it, but they were not visionaries. They were not businessmen. They were not aware of national and international exposure and opportunities. It was just one of these things. So to get into MMA and to watch the very smart and good people that happened to be around this sport, I never saw one they got wrong. Every rule I ever saw implemented, every meeting that I ever heard called, every talking point, every piece of legislation, once it went through, you're going, well, yeah, how did we how did we not already have that done? That makes perfect sense. Everything. I have absolutely no exception to that, save one. One, I remember the day that I heard it. I got called from a reporter called Stephen Morocco. And Stephen said, Chael, what do you think of this? And he was teaching me it, though. I didn't know. I was behind. He thought I knew. He was calling for my opinion. But Stephen was actually teaching me. And what it was is when they went to five-round fights. They went to five-round fights that were not title fights. And I remember thinking, this won't work. They're going to have huge pushback. Now, I was wrong. This 
Time has gone by. That's simply not what happened. And Sean's comment are one of the few comments that have ever come out from the time that I got that call from Stephen Morocco, which seems to me was in like 2012 off the top of my head. I know I'm close at 2011, 2012, 2013. I'm, I'm real close though. I thought this is something that guys would, would not want to do and that commissions wouldn't get behind for a number of reasons. I fully admit that I'm wrong, but as a talking point, because Sean brought it to us, five rounds is weird to start with. Every single piece of this sport has been revisited over time. Every single piece. We all knew that we're doing our best to make things up and put rules and implement them in the time. But the times changed and everything got re-looked at, except for that. Now, what are the odds? Just if you're just basic logic, right? This is not a fundamental argument by me. There's no foundation in what I'm saying right now. But what are the odds, logically, that we just happen to guess the right amount of time, which was five five-minute rounds? We just happen to guess that with the very limited information that we had at that time. Two and three and 10 and 11 and 12 states that were even welcoming and sanctioning this event with over 30 still to go. And when they all came in, they all saw it the same way, which was five by five was the right way to do it. I mean, what are the odds that that would possibly be right? Look, if you want to make a sport safer, it's real simple to do. You shorten the time that you're out there. That is just basic logic. I mean, that is just good common sense. You shorten the time, not you add to it. And I'm only bringing that up from a commission standpoint. What are you going to do when you're dealing with the athletes? who could do the same thing one fight earlier and do it for 70% less time. Just an interesting concept that I didn't think would work. I was wrong. It did work. It went just fine. And I've always had a problem with the round change, including for title fights. It just doesn't make any kind of sense to me. And when we were making title fights five rounds, we were also, it, it was a big part of the sport. We don't really have it as much anymore, but it was at one point trying to compare our sports to other sports. We're just like them. We're mainstream. We're up and coming. We're hard work. We're good athletes. We were trying to do these things. There is no other sport in the world that I'm aware of that you do more rounds in the, like the Super Bowl isn't three halves, by example, right? No sport goes longer just because it's the gold medal. I came from a wrestling background. All matches are seven minutes at the NCAA level. The championship match is not eight. All matches are three rounds at the collegiate level. The championship match is not four. So I just, it always just conceptually bothered me I because I didn't understand it. And I really did not think that it would last and hold up over the test of time. Again, for the fourth time, I'm admitting to you, I was wrong. And I got put in those situations. And you wanted them because it meant that you're going to be the main event. So I prepared, I prepared my body, and I prepared my mind. I did not have any kind of a resistance or a pushback. I've only shared for you, from a personal standpoint, I did not. Also, from a personal standpoint, I had guessed at the day that Stephen Morocco called me, and I remember telling him on the phone, that's not going to work. The boys are not going to agree to that. They're aspiring to be main events. They're aspiring to be on the top of the bill. But to be on the top of the bill now is going to cost you a much harder preparation. A much harder training. You think getting up and running three miles every day is tough. You're now running five miles. You think doing two hours of hard practice a day, and you're now doing two hours and 40 minutes just to prepare yourself for it. What is the reward? Guys aren't going to do it. I, not the way it worked out. 
And now when Sean brings this to your attention, he says that he's not going to do five-round fights. I will correct Sean's statement for him. Sean hasn't been given the opportunity. Sean is not telling you, don't call me and this won't work. Call him, present him any opportunity that you want, but he's going to look at it. And I do think that Sean does bring up at least a very interesting and fair talking point. Because if Sean, let's just take him literal. Let's not have Chael come in and say, oh, if he's given the right opportunity. Let's take Sean literal at the words that he used. That would mean that his first time in a five-round contest would be a championship fight. That's happened to plenty of guys. But does it put you at a deficit? That's a question. I'm asking you the question. Do you, do, are you at more of an advantage to have walked out there having prepared for it? Whether you enter the five-round club, meaning you complete all five rounds or not, knowing and going into that environment, managing your energy, Judging yourself against time, being observant of the clock, does it help you and give you an advantage to have done that before? Or are you better to just go on there and one night and say, hey, I can do it. I've done it in the training room. Let it roll. And that happens plenty of times in life, right? Not everything you get experience at. There's plenty of things that you've got to go do that come with, with big risk, but also of the unknown. Maybe that's the spot that Sean's going to go in. But I thought it was fair that Sean brought it up. And I will just tell you, from the day I got that call from Stephen Morocco till now, I've maybe heard two to three guys ever bring up this five-round business. It has not been a problem in the least. I can tell you the day that I got called to do my first five-round fight, I did not say one word back. I didn't go, oh, can we make it three rounds? I, I said nothing to anybody. Well, does this change? Does that change? I said nothing to anybody. I just said, okay. So I'm imagining that all the... Other men and women that have come along have done the same thing. But now O'Malley brings this to your attention. It does seem like an interesting thing to talk about. You do have commissions that are saying our number one job is fighter safety. I get that it's not. I get that their number one job is revenue. I, I understand that. But they hang their hat on that same argument to continue to get that revenue. And whether they stepped in and succeeded with an initiative to make all fights three rounds based on the mere premise of what I gave you, that no other sport in the history of the world, past or present, or that we could foresee in the future, changes the championship match. The Super Bowl never becomes... They do halves, right? Is it quarters? Is it halves? Yeah, I'm getting lost on the Super Bowl. I don't, I don't watch football. Isn't it two halves? I know they have a halftime. They come out and they do another thing for the same amount of time. They don't have three of whatever that is, just because it's a championship game. It would seem as though somebody would step forward and say, to prove safety, we're not going to leave them out there for as long. Prove your point and do it faster. It would seem as though somebody within the 50 states would come forward and say, I'm not doing five-minute rounds. You can come here, I'll contest it, I agree with the rules, I agree with the weight classes, but here in my jurisdiction, it's four-minute rounds. Even if that did not pass, it would seem as though somebody would want the credit for being forward-thinking and proving I am, in fact, here for the fighter safety. To prove it, I'm going to make them more safe. To make them more safe, I'm not making the big gloves bigger. I'm not watering down the rules. I'm just going to put them out there for less time. There isn't a person amongst us, no matter how eloquent they were with rhetorical skills, that could rebuke that. That makes perfect sense. But it's never happened. And this is not the hill that I want to die on. This is not of, of, of Chael's begrudgments. This is not the one that I want attached to. Sean brought it up, and Sean brings up a fair point. And I'm coming on the back of that just to tell you I'm a little bit surprised in all of these years, which is roughly a decade, with Sean included, I have not heard this brought up more than three times by anybody. I predicted for Stephen it was not going to work. I was wrong. 
So now Mally has to make personal choices, as do the rest of the men and women. I've never seen resistance. I've never even heard of it through the grapevine, that any fight was refused or denied because it was fill in the blank too long. I know of one time, one time, and I think he was well within his rights, and it was Anderson Silva, got called for UFC 200. He got called to walk in there against a prepared Daniel Cormier in a different weight class, and Anderson said, I'll do it, I'll do it all. I will go out there and throw myself to the wolf for the betterment of the audience. But I'm not doing it for five rounds because I'm not prepared to the fight. And that made sense to everybody. There was no pushback. Boom. Daniel Cormier is the champion of the world. This is going to be a non-title fight. And it's only going to be three rounds. That made perfect sense. And aside from that one example, in all this time, I have nothing else to offer. To close out today's show, I thought I'd give you a holiday present by telling you a story that you've been wanting me to tell you for years, so here you go. I have been asked the same question, I would guess a thousand times, and that's probably an expression. It could be more like 90 times, but you know how that is, you get asked something 90 times, you go, I've been asked this 10,000 times, you know how it feels like that? Which is Chael, tell us a tough guy story that we've never heard before. Tell me a tough guy story that you've never talked about we haven't heard. Now, I always interpret that to mean, and here's the reason I never do it. I interpret that to mean a practice room story. And I can't do it. I've seen things in the practice room, but it's not just me. We all do, and there's a code, and we don't ever talk about it. And I've discussed that with you before, so I always ignore the question. This is my first time addressing the question. I'm addressing the question by telling you I'm going to avoid it completely, but I have to. But it's still the question that keeps coming up over and over again. Tell us a tough guy story. And a tough guy story for me is a little bit more sophisticated of a question than it's meant to be. Because what is a tough guy? What is a tough guy? Is the tough guy the one that can bench press more? Is the tough guy, maybe he's got a good jab and he's really quick with it. He can beat you up. Is that what a tough guy is? Because it's not necessarily for me. It's not. Tough guy doesn't just come down to the physicality. There has to be a mental side to it. There has to be a courage. There has to be a bravery. There has to be a willingness. And that willingness is not just to put it on the line for victory and glory. It's knowing full well that you only have a 50% chance of that. The other 50% chance is that you're going to lose. You're going to be defeated. The train is going to stop running down the tracks at least for a moment, and then you're going to have to reset and regroup, which is a very difficult thing to do. It's not just physical. Now you're in a mental exercise. I had to train one time, guys. I got a two-year suspension. I had practice. I got suspended that day, and practice was that night. So I go to practice. It's the first time I saw Coach Clayton. And Coach Clayton told me, we have two years. Two years is going to seem like an eternity. We are going to practice on the same schedule every single day. And he said to me, this is not a physical exercise you're going through. You are now in a mental exercise. And it was so difficult to see light at the end of that tunnel, to come in day after day training for nothing. I'd never been in that spot before. I had never worked out for the sake of working out. Everything had a purpose. There was goals, there was dates, there was deadlines, there was matches, there was weigh-ins, there was travel, there was competition, reset the tape. It was all built in with structure. It was a mental exercise. But that mental side of it, I'm not proud of, of being suspended, but I am proud of getting through 
that mental hurdle, which I'll just share with you, was difficult to do. So I got to see a mental site. That's just me. I think that you will agree with me on that. But even if you don't, I'm at least just sharing from my perspective. When you talk about a tough guy, there has to be something at risk. It can't just be banging your chest and look cool and being believable when you do it. If you get called on it, are you the guy that comes as advertised? Do you guys know who Jocko Wilnick is? You've heard of Jocko? I'm assuming you have. Jocko Wilnick, for me, is a tough guy. He passed the test. Here's what happened. It was many years ago, 2016 maybe 2015, maybe 2017, somewhere right in there. A number of years ago, we're doing submission underground. We're going to put a match on. And the guys at Flow wanted a military match. Tim Kennedy versus Jocko. And once we get this signed and billed, we're going to bring it in. And we're, but this is what the storyline is going to be, these two military men. Okay. So I call Jocko. And I ask him if he wants to do the match. Jocko accepts the match on the spot. Right on the spot. And Jocko's got a black belt in jiu-jitsu under Dean Lister. Jocko's entered tournaments. He's competitive, but he has other interests. He is not single tunnel visioned. Not in the least would he qualify as that. He has other interests. He's curious about a lot of things. He's a very, very busy guy. So buckling down and training and learning all of these things to go and get his hand raised, it's just not really in the wheelhouse, but it is something that he does. It's something that he likes to do. He understood the story, had got where that could bring positive attention, and he was willing to take a challenge. Now, he is very unlikely, if we're to be fair, to defeat Tim Kennedy. Tim Kennedy, at that time, was single tunnel vision, was absolutely locked in on the physical and mental aspects of defeating a comp uh, an opponent in one-on-one -on -one competition. Jocko accepted the match on the spot. Now, that's not what I appreciate about him. That was a cool move. Okay. But I could have got that from a lot of guys, in fairness. Jocko doesn't know what that match pays to this day. He doesn't know because he never asked me. Jocko does not know what the rules to that match were. He doesn't know because I never told him. Jocko doesn't know how long the match was going to be. He doesn't know because he never asked. He accepted it on the spot, period. Here we are, four to five years later, and Jocko has never taken credit. He's never told the story. He's never acknowledged or tried to shine his own wheels for having the courage to go in and accept a fight. Tim Kennedy was ranked number five in the world at that time. Tim Kennedy had just done a ground fight. It was MMA rules, but it was all on the ground against Hodger Gracie, and Tim won. With Hodger on his back for over three minutes and Tim still won, right? I mean, there's, there was nothing about this that was right for Jocko. And in all fairness, in our industry, you will give a guy credit for showing bravery, for showing willness. We're seeing that right now, just by example, just so you don't have to try to think back. Right now, what is going on with Hazmat Chemaev and the very few guys who are willing and asking for that match are getting a boost in uh, popularity. They're getting a different level of respect. Jocko knows that. Jocko's a black belt in this. He knew exactly that he could have put himself over. He wouldn't have to put Tim down at all. He's a guy with many interests, Jocko, who happens to have a black belt and likes to compete the end, and he was willing to step in there against the number five guy in the world, who, by the way, was younger than him and probably, I don't know what Jocko weighs, but probably a little bit more fit at the time. He never said anything. 
He's never told any of you. I know you don't know that story. I listened to something with Jocko stuff that never came up. And there's a piece of that that satisfies the criteria that I personally need for what is a tough guy. For having the courage, for being able to risk it, for being willing to go out there and risk it against anybody who happens to do the same thing that you do and is is agreeing to follow the rules of the sport. You know how many times I've been on calls with guys? Big names. Big names that you respect. I've been on phone calls with guys that say, I will do it if. And then they try to change a fundamental rule of the sport. Time is a big one. Uh, Heel hooks come up a lot. Uh, Position and advantages and what you're going to do when you get into overtime. Just by example, we have these actual conversations. The conversation stops right there. I would never... Now, I don't have the power or the ability to change a sport any more than if you guys are put on a basketball game and all of a sudden you say that a basket's worth one point instead of two. That's not how the game is played. You are now doing something else, right? You're now doing something different. That is not what basketball is. It's the same thing in the sport of grappling, just by example, which is what we were talking about. I have no ability, not to mention would I ever do it even if I did have a magic wand, to change the rules of an event. This is what the event is. If this is the game that you play, then these are the rules that you follow. Big names that I could tell you about that have turned matches down and missed opportunities because there was not a manipulation of the rules. And the manipulation within the rules, of course and obviously, is designed to favor them. Which is weird. It's a weird thing to even ask. But the way that I will look at them and the respect that I have for them will change forever. I won't come out and talk about it. A private conversation is a private conversation. I'm not naming names. Now or ever. But I'm a human being. I heard the words and it changes the way I look at them. I'm a human being. I saw and heard what Jocko had to say about taking on the number five guy in the world with very little preparation, having no carrot dangle in front of him, not knowing the time so that he could even show up in shape and unfamiliar with the rules. He said one word and the word was yes. All right, guys, that's the final episode of the year. I just want to thank you guys for checking us out every Wednesday and Friday and making it the best MMA podcast on the planet. Happy New Year to you and your families. I can't wait to talk to you again on Wednesday. Until then, I'm Shale Sonnen, and you are welcome.